Well, good morning. It's great to see all of you this morning. Great to be together, especially as we start this new series today. We've been praying for this and preparing for this series. I think it's going to be a a great opportunity for us to see some great things from God. The series is called The Grave Robber, How Jesus Can Make Your Impossible Possible. It's an eight-week series. We're going to look at seven of Jesus' miracles from the book of John. Today is going to be an introduction to the series, and then starting next week, we'll look at the first miracle. Seven of, of his miracles, and there are, I think, eight that uh, John writes about, uh, the last one being the resurrection of Jesus. But we're going to look at the other seven, and um, we're going to discover that Jesus not only worked miracles in the past, but he continues to work miracles today as well. So I hope that you'll be here for every week. There's no reason why uh, you can't get something out of every week of this series as we go through the grave robber, how Jesus can make your impossible possible. Today's message is don't miss the miracles. Don't miss the miracles. And by the way, this series is based on a book by Mark Batterson, who is the lead pastor of the National Community Church, uh, a church in our nation's capital. And if you would like a copy of this book, it's on sale right now at our local family Christian store that is going out of business, unfortunately. So you can get this book at a, at a pretty good discount. They have a hardback and soft cover. They have plenty of them. So uh, Mark Batterson wrote this book about three, three or four years ago, and I guess it's been. And in this book, he tells a story about a violinist, a man who was a, a violinist, his name is Joshua Bell. And Joshua Bell was not just any violinist, but he's actually a world-class violinist. And he plays a very expensive violin. In fact, the violin that he plays is a 300-year-old Stradivarius, which cost, or has a value of, $3.5 million for a violin. That's a pretty expensive instrument. But one day, as part of an experiment that was conceived by a Washington Post columnist, this man, this world-class violinist, went to um, a subway stop, a metro station there in Washington, D.C. He put on a baseball cap. He just kind of went incognito. He wasn't wearing tux that he would normally wear when he performs. And he just started playing at this subway station, at this metro station in Washington, D.C. Just started, just started playing his violin, his very expensive violin. And he's playing some uh, music by, by Johann Sebastian Bach. Great music. He, ma- he played a concert for 45 minutes. He was there in this place. And while he played, during those 45 minutes, 1,097 people walked by and heard him play, heard this world-class violinist playing Bach on a very expensive violin, very nice violin. And out of those 1,000, 1,097 people who walked by, only seven actually stopped to listen. And so when this world-class violinist stopped playing, when he finished his 45-minute concert, nobody applauded, nobody acknowledged him. I actually saw a video of this because they, they used some hidden cameras to, to record this performance. And I, I watched some of that video clip. It was on the news. And there's just people walking by. And he's over there playing, wearing a baseball cap, just playing. People just walking by and ignoring him. And uh, he did get some tips. He got $32 in tips 
But 20 of those dollars were from one person who actually did recognize him. And he left $20 for him. Now the question that is raised by this experiment is this. If we don't have time to stop and listen to one of the greatest violinists in the world play some of the finest music ever written on one of the most beautiful instruments ever made, how many other beautiful moments do we miss during a normal day? I would guess a lot. I would guess we miss a lot of beautiful moments during the day because we're not paying attention. Hey, I want to show you a short video right now. It's about a minute long. And I want you to follow the instructions on this video. Okay, so just watch carefully. It's, it's also an experiment. And uh, you have to do something. You'll see the instructions. It's very easy. All you got to do is count. But uh, my instructions to you is when you watch this video right now, don't, don't talk. If you've seen this, don't give it away. Don't say to somebody, hey, I know the answer or I've seen this. I mean, don't even let people know you've seen this if you've seen this. But I just want you to watch this, do what it says, and then we'll talk about it. Okay, let's show this. Selective attention. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the basketball. How many passes did you count? The correct answer is 15 passes. But did you see the gorilla? Okay, now be honest. How many of you did not see the gorilla? Let me see your hands. If you did not see the gorilla. Wow, that's a lot of you. This experiment was actually done by two researchers at Harvard University. And when they conducted this experiment, half of those that saw the video, the test group, didn't see the gorilla. Which is about the same thing here. About half of you didn't see the gorilla. I showed it to my family last night. There were four of us. There were five of us, but of course I knew it was coming up. So the other four, half of them didn't see the, the gorilla. How is that possible? You know, the, the, those of you who didn't see the gorilla, you're saying, there was a gorilla? And the others who did see it are like, how can you miss it? How can anybody miss that gorilla? So I was feeling pretty good about this. I, I went online. I found, I found this, and I found an updated one, an updated video. And I thought, well, I know what's going to go on. So I watched the updated one, and I said... I see the gorilla. And so, yeah, and then they came back and said, did you see the gorilla? And I was like, yes, I saw the gorilla. Then they said, but did you notice that one of the group members left? Oh, I didn't see that. And did you notice that the curtain behind them changed colors? Uh, no, I didn't see that. So I was feeling good because I saw the gorilla, but I missed the, the fact that one of them guys, one of the girls left and that the curtain was changing colors. I was like, how did I miss that? How do we miss something that's so obvious? Now, the answer to that is something known as inattentional blindness, also known as perceptual blindness. 
Now, inattentional blindness is the failure to notice something that's right in your field of vision because you're so focused on something else. In this case, people in white shirts passing basketballs. Now, in Jesus' Jesus' day, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that time, had inattentional blindness. And they had it bad. They had it bad. They were so focused on the fact that Jesus wasn't keeping their laws, that they totally missed the miracles that were happening right in front of them. All the things that Jesus was doing, they totally missed that. They just focused on the fact that He wasn't keeping their laws. But the Pharisees aren't the only ones with inattentional blindness. Many people today also have it. They're so focused on their lives and and sometimes they're focused on their biases because we all have biases. We all do. We all look at at, at situations. We we, we live lives through the lenses of of our biases. And, And sometimes people are so focused on their biases and focused on their lives that they miss not only the miracles that Jesus did in the past, but the miracles He's doing today. Now, Jesus said something very interesting about his miracles. In John 14, 12, here's what he said. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Now, that's interesting that he's saying this, and if anybody else said this, I, I wouldn't accept it, I wouldn't believe it, but this is Jesus saying, anyone who believes in me, now what does it mean to believe in him? We'll talk about that here in just a minute, but he said, anyone who believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things, greater things than Jesus? I mean, just simply to, to believe that we can do the same thing as Jesus is a stretch, but then to think that we can do even greater things? What does this mean? Well, Jesus was talking to His disciples. This is right before His death. He was telling them things that were beyond their comprehension. And we know this because of the questions the disciples were asking Jesus. In verse 5, that same chapter, verse 5, Thomas, one of the disciples, asked Him, Lord, we don't know where You're going. How can we know the way? See, He was telling them something they didn't understand and and they're having a hard time comprehending. Philip, another disciple, later said, Lord, show us a father and that will be enough for us. I mean, even their questions are a little confusing. And, And when Philip asked that question, the answer that Jesus gave him was also very interesting. He asked him, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? In other words... Uh, They were having this difficulty understanding what he was teaching them. And he was bringing them into this new dimension that they just couldn't comprehend. Don't you know me, Philip? I've been with you all this time and you don't know me. And really the the implied answer was like, we don't. We've been walking with you, and but we don't know you. Well, what Jesus was telling them was this. To believe in him as the Son of God. To believe in him as God himself. That's what they were having a hard time comprehending. He was saying to them things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And they were saying, but we don't know the way. He was saying to them, no one comes to the Father but through me. They were saying, but we'll show us the Father and, and then we'll, 
we'll know you, that'll be enough. He was saying, you're not getting this. I'm telling you, believe in me as a son of God, believe in me as God himself. Now many people today say that they believe in Jesus, don't they? I mean, you talk to the average man on the street, woman on the street, and you ask them, do you believe in Jesus? Many of them will say, yes, I believe in Jesus. But I don't think that's what Jesus meant when he said, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. I think Jesus meant more than just saying, yeah, I believe, I believe in Jesus. I think he was asking, like he was asking his disciples to, to believe in him as God. I think what he's asking is for them to believe in the supernatural. Because when we believe in the supernatural identity of Jesus, we'll see the supernatural works of Jesus. We'll not only see them in the scripture, but we'll see them in our lives as well. When we believe in the supernatural identity of Jesus, we'll believe in the supernatural works of Jesus. This week, my wife and I were in family Christian stores, the store here, looking for bargains. And we looked around quite a bit. We went to the Bible section. My wife was looking for a Bible. She bought a Bible. They have lots of Bibles there. Lots of different types of Bibles. You've been there, you know. I mean, they have devotional Bibles. They have study Bibles. They have Bibles for men, Bible for we- Bibles for women, Bibles for teenagers, Bibles for children. Uh, they have journaling Bibles. Lots of Bibles. But one Bible I didn't see was the Jefferson Bible. Have you ever heard of the Jefferson Bible? Now you know who Thomas Jefferson was. He was one of our nation's founding fathers. He was the third president of the United States. And Thomas Jefferson had a very deep appreciation for the teachings of Jesus. But you've got to understand that Thomas Jefferson was also a child of the Enlightenment. You studied the Enlightenment in, in, in history. The Enlightenment, that that. Age of reason, as it was also known. That period of learning in which people made reason and logic supreme over all things. And Jefferson was a child of the Enlightenment. And so that's his filter. That was his filter. That was his bias. And in the later years of his life, Jefferson constructed a book that he called The Life and Morals of Jesus. That was the name of his book. The Life and Morals of Jesus. He didn't write this book, he just put it together. Today we know it as a Jefferson Bible. Because what he did was he took a a Bible, and then he took an actual razor and glue, and he constructed a Bible that included the teachings of Jesus, but not his miracles. He actually cut and pasted from his Bible, he cut and pasted uh, from the Bible portions of the Bible that he really liked, his favorite passages, his favorite stories, his favorite teachings of Jesus, he would cut them out and he'd paste them on a separate sheet of paper. Cut and paste, cut and paste. All the teachings of Jesus, but he left out all the miracles of Jesus because he didn't accept those as being true. He deleted the virgin birth, the resurrection, And everything in between, every supernatural event in between. In fact, the Jefferson Bible, Jefferson's version of the Bible, ends with the stone being placed in front of the tomb. That's it. That's where the Bible, the Jefferson Bible, ends. 
Now, it's hard to imagine taking scissors to the Bible, isn't it? And yet, we do the same thing. We do the same thing. We don't do it literally. We don't literally cut and paste the Bible into our own book, construct our own, our own Bible, and, and uh, we don't cut and paste on our computers. But we do pick and choose our favorite verses, and we ignore the parts of the Bible that we don't like or that we don't understand. So instead of a life that resembles the supernatural life of Jesus and the life that He wants for us. Remember He said, you'll do these same things and even greater things, greater works than me. And instead of us living a life of the supernatural that Jesus wants for us, we live common lives with no supernatural influence and no supernatural works. Let me tell you, Jesus still performs miracles. Make no mistake about this. Jesus is God. He's not just a a historical figure. He's God. He has supernatural knowledge and supernatural power. He works miracles of healing and miracles of changed lives and miracles of protection, miracles of deliverance, miracles of provision. He's totally in control of this world and He's totally in control of our lives. He's a miracle worker. But we so often miss the miracles. We miss them. They're right in front of us. And we miss them. Why is that? Well, I want to give you a couple of reasons. One reason that we miss the miracles is that we often allow our limited understanding to limit our understanding of Jesus as God. We miss the miracles when we allow our limited understanding to limit our understanding of Jesus as God. In fact, at times it seems that the more educated we become, the less we believe in a supernatural Jesus and everything that goes along with a supernatural Jesus. You know, I, I believe in education. And I believe in that. I believe that for my children. I, I want my children, my wife and I talk about this, we want our kids to, to go further than we went, to get better educated than we were and accomplish more than we did. And we desire that for them. But I've seen that the more we become filled with human knowledge and understanding, the less room we have to believe in a book called the Bible that was written and preserved by a supernatural God. It doesn't have to be that way, and it's not that way for everybody, but for so many people, that's the way it happens. And Jesus is asking us today to believe in Him as God and in everything He teaches and in everything that He did and continues to do in this world. Look, just just because we don't understand something doesn't mean that it isn't true. Could God exist somewhere beyond our level of understanding? Could God exist somewhere beyond what our mind can comprehend? Are we really that uh, proud, that full of pride, and that intelligent that we understand all things, and if we don't get it, it's not so? Do you see the pride in that? Just because we don't understand a concept doesn't mean we can't accept it as true. I mean, if everything has to come through the filter of our understanding, then what we're doing is we're setting ourselves up as God, as the ultimate judge of what's true or untrue. And we're not. I've told you the story before of my college roommate, who was a great guy. He was a great guy. Uh, but we're very different. We're alike in many ways, but very different. 
he, he grew up in church. I did too. But he turned away from church sometime in high school. He turned away from the Baptist church where he grew up. And by the time he got to college, he considered himself an atheist. And we're good friends. We were roommates, good friends. We hung out together. Uh, of course, we were both music students. We had that in common. And he, he's a great guy. But we had several discussions about this. And I remember telling him one time something that I learned in a book by Winky Pratney. And uh, so I said, I'm going to try this with him. So I did. I, I, we were talking about, about God, and he was talking about how he didn't believe in God. And so I, I drew a circle on a napkin. We're at a restaurant. I think we're at a pizza hut. And so I drew a circle on a napkin, and I said, okay, this circle, this circle represents all the knowledge in the world. Everything that, that can be learned, everything that has been learned by, by everybody from the beginning of time. The most brightest minds, all the knowledge, this is in, in this circle. I, I asked him, so how much of this knowledge, I want you to take this pen and I want you to, to draw me in this circle, how much of this knowledge do you have? How much of this knowledge, the world's knowledge, things that have been learned, discovered, understood, how much of this knowledge do you possess? And he says, well, I, I, couldn't even, I couldn't even mark it. I couldn't even mark it. And I said, well, just for the sake of, of what I'm doing, just, just at least do a dot. He says, well, I'll do a dot. There's a little dot in there. That's, that's really what, all I know. And he was a very intelligent guy. And I said, now, do you, don't you think that God could exist outside your area of understanding? If that's all you understand, then how can you say that God doesn't exist? Why couldn't He exist outside your area of understanding? I told him, you, you can't say you're an atheist anymore. You can say you're agnostic, but you can't say you're an atheist because God could exist outside what you understand. And I understand that, that some people are skeptical when it comes to Jesus as God and the miracles of Jesus because miracles are by definition a violation of natural laws and we instinctively object to these violations because miracles aren't logical. They're not logical. But we can't just try to explain away what we can't explain. We can't explain away or try to explain away what we can't explain. Just because we can't explain doesn't mean, we, well, I'm going to choose not to believe it and try to explain it away. We can't allow ourselves to be limited by our intellectual limitations. We've got to exercise faith in the identity of Jesus so we can experience the power of Jesus and the works of Jesus in our lives. We've got to exercise faith in the identity of Jesus so we can experience the power of Jesus. But our limited understanding isn't our only obstacle to believing in the miracles of Jesus. Sometimes we miss the miracles when our disappointments cause us to stop believing in the supernatural power of God. Have you ever been disappointed because you asked God something and God didn't answer the way that, that you needed that prayer to be answered? Maybe you prayed for a miracle. And the miracle didn't come. I have prayed for miracles. One occasion I was up almost all night. I couldn't sleep and I was crying. I was praying, God, we need a miracle right now. I need a miracle. I asked him. I got on my knees and I prayed and I got back in bed. Then I got back up and I walked and I paced and I prayed and I tried to sleep. And I couldn't, and, and just all night, God didn't answer. At least it didn't come the way that I needed it, that I, that I wanted it. 
I can't explain why some prayers aren't answered and why some miracles don't happen the way we want. But I do believe that it's a mistake to allow a single disappointment to cause you to stop believing in a supernatural Jesus and in his supernatural works. It's a mistake to allow one disappointment, even two, to allow disappointments to cause us to stop believing in a supernatural God because God is still working miracles. And it could be we're not seeing them, we're missing them. Because we're disappointed. We're disappointed in God. Disappointed in our friends. We're disappointed in life. We're disappointed in ourselves. On one occasion, we read in the book of Mark, the gospel according to Mark, that a father, a very desperate father, brought his young son to the disciples so they could help him. It seems that his son was possessed by an evil spirit. Now, if you're a parent, can you imagine the pain that would cause if you knew that your son was possessed by a demon, by an evil spirit? So this man came to the disciples and then he spoke to Jesus. And here's what he told Jesus in Mark 9, 17. Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever, whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. I mean, the father was already grieved over his son, and he thought the disciples would be able to help, but they couldn't do it. They were casting out other demons. They were praying and, and the sick were being healed. Because Jesus had given them power and authority. So they were working other miracles. So this father got his hopes up. But they couldn't do it. Can you imagine his disappointment? So Jesus called for the boy and for the father. And they took the boy to him. And the father said this to Jesus. Have mercy on us. And help us if you can. I mean he needed a miracle. He had had his share of disappointments, but he was still looking for a miracle. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. Now Jesus' answer was, if I can. In verse 23, what do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe, help my unbelief, is the way it, it reads in the older versions. I do believe, help my unbelief. There it is. I mean, there's the tension that we all feel. We want to believe, but we struggle to believe. We struggle because of past disappointments, or we struggle because of our intellectual limitations. But Jesus can help us in our unbelief, and He can help us to believe. Jesus can help us in our unbelief and He can help us to believe. And I say that because Jesus worked a miracle and He cast His demon out of this young boy. Even though the Father said, if you can. Now there are people who teach, well, you better not ever utter any doubt because God won't give you your miracle. This, this man, I mean, if there was ever doubt. He said, I believe... Uh, or rather, he said, help us, 
Have mercy on us. Help us if you can. Notice Jesus didn't say, if I can, I was going to heal your son. But you said, if I can, no miracle for you. Go. Go away. Jesus didn't say that. Because he helps us in our unbelief and he helps us to believe. And so we, we face life with this tension between unbelief and belief. That's, that's normal. We, we face life with that tension and that's normal. We just have to learn to act on the truth. Act on, on faith and not on doubt. We all have doubt. We live with doubt. If you've ever had surgery, the doctor put a great big doubt in your mind, didn't he? If you've ever had surgery, he had to sign a, a, a piece of paper that said, you could die. You know what I'm talking about? And how many of you say, oh, I'm not going to sign that. No, you sign it anyway, don't you? And then you go through with the surgery. They put a big old doubt, but you're not acting on your doubt. You're acting on your faith. You believe this is going to be good for you. The doctor's saying, look, this is going to help you. Here's how we're going to do this. We live with doubt all the time, but we don't have to act on doubt. Some people say, well, I've got a little bit of doubt. I, I can't follow Jesus. Yes, you can. Because Jesus helps you in your unbelief and he helps you to believe. So you got to decide, am I going to act on my doubt or act on my belief? Act on my doubt or act on my faith? And as you learn to act on your faith, the doubt begins to diminish. The doubt begins to go away. Jesus will still help you, but He wants you to believe in Him as a Son of God, as a supernatural miracle worker, so that you can see the works that He did and even greater works in your own life. So this is going to be a series of miracles. Don't miss the miracles. Don't miss a series. But don't miss the miracles just because you lack understanding or because you've been disappointed in the past. Turn to Jesus today. He's God. He loves you with a love that only God can show you. He wants to make your impossible possible. He wants to make your impossible possible. And maybe today someone here is facing an impossible situation. You're making an you're you're facing rather an impossible situation. He wants to make it possible, but you've got to believe in him as a son of God. You've got to turn to him. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop trusting in your own wisdom and understanding and your own ability to fix things. Be willing to step forth in faith and faith in a God who works miracles and a God who loves you. So today, can we start this series by saying, God, I have questions, I have doubts, but I, I know one thing. You're God and you love me and you want the best for me. Can we start with that? Can we say, Lord, I, I need a miracle, I need help, I need direction, I need this, I need that. Can we just turn to Him and believe, believe that God is going to work whatever miracles you need in your life. They'll come in a way that He wants. They'll come when He wants. We're going to just trust Him and believe that He knows what's best.